Praise the Lord. You are listening to a word from the Lord, a radio and internet ministry of the Refuge Temple Church of Burlington, North Carolina. Refuge Temple Church is located in the heart of Burlington, NC at 152 North Main Street. Our pastor is Bishop Reginald J. Davis. Refuge Temple Church is a spirit-filled, Bible-believing, multicultural ministry ordained by Jesus Christ to serve him, his kingdom, and the community from Main Street to the world. We welcome you to join us now for anointed music and the word of God. Oh God, God bless you. Those in the sanctuary remain standing with me for just a moment as we go to the word of God in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number five. And we're gonna read just three verses, 15, 16, and 17 to you. Ephesians chapter 5, 15, 16, and 17. Hallelujah. If you have it, would you say amen? I'm going to wait just another second or so. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15, 16, 17. See then that you walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Subject today, I've wasted enough time. God bless you. You can be seated. I have wasted enough time. Time is, without question, one of the most valuable things given to us. Time is valuable because of its finiteness and because of its irreplaceability. Everybody has a limited amount of time. Everybody, everybody. The oldest recorded person is Methuselah, and he lived 969 years. But the day came when Methuselah, the oldest person recorded in scripture, died. So everybody has a limited time. And I don't know if there are any Methuselahs sitting with us right now. So that means everybody has a finite amount of time. I struggle with this because, you know, if you keep having birthdays, you start thinking about the reality of time. Didn't think about it much when I was 20. Didn't think about it much when I was 30. Didn't think about it much even when I turned 40. But when I crossed 50, I started thinking about the fact that unless God grants me exceptional favor, there are more days behind me than in front of me. And when you start thinking in those terms, you start examining what am I doing with my time? What am I doing with it? Um, you start 
looking at the things, and, and, and maybe I'm the only one, but you start looking at the things that you did that you gave time to that were not fruitful things. Somebody be honest with me here. Because the, the, the second reality of time is that it's not only limited, but it's irreplaceable. You can't get more time. You know, I've wasted some things. I've wasted money. Anybody wasted money? Okay, I'm the only one. All right. Anybody wasted money? You spent money on something that didn't work or you spent money on something that you really thought you wanted, but when you got it home, you didn't want it and you couldn't take it back. You wasted money. But you know, the, the, the blessing of wasting money is as long as there are resources, you can get some more money. All right. You might pout about it for a couple of days, but there'll be another payday. There'll be another check and you can move on. I've wasted food. Come on, somebody. Eyes were bigger than my stomach. Come on, somebody. Piled up all this food on my plate and started eating it and realized I didn't want all this stuff I was trying to eat. And so you threw some away. And, you know, if you like my mother, she'd say there's so many starving children in the world. And you thought, you didn't say it, but you thought, well, you can mail this to them. Come on, somebody. Because there's starving children in the world. But you can get more food. But you can't get more time. And, and, and so that's why the Bible is very clear that we have to do several things. Because you can't make more time. And, and even, you know, people get on the road and they speed saying, I'm going to make up some time. You can't make up that time. You know, you, you'll go 90 miles an hour and there'll be an accident or there'll be a checkpoint or there'll be something that slows you down. So you can't even make up the time. So knowing I can't make time, and I remember that Sister Taylor said something to me years ago that I had not forgotten. She said, Pastor, there are only 24 hours in a day. So there's but so much things, so many things you can squeeze into a day because you can't create and make more time. So we have to do several things. First of all, we have to learn how to value time. Anybody grateful for time? Okay, that went over somebody's head. I mean grateful for time. Even the time that I wasted, thank God he gave me time. Didn't come the first time he called me. Thank God he gave me more time. Hallelujah. I sometimes strayed, but thank God for time. You have to learn how to value time. You have to also learn how to manage time. Because there are a lot of things that will suck up your time, take away your time. and You've got to learn how to manage time. And then you have to learn how to make the most of the time you've been given. And so you have to, and, 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 and they say this in, in, in idioms, that you have to live like this is your last day. Now, I'm, 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 I'm not prophesying to anybody. I'm praying that all of us have long life and that God grant us as much time as we can hold. But um, what if this was the last day? Would you waste it being angry? Lord, help me preach this. Would you waste it being upset? Or would you spend this last day saying, Lord, I just want to thank you for what you have already done in my life? We waste time trying to get somebody to push us and prompt us and pump us up to being grateful when just what you know about God or to create a level of gratitude in your spirit. Anybody glad for what the Lord has already done for you? Hallelujah. Making the most of that time. You know, the Bible says this. I have three scriptures. 
Psalms 90 and verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. In other words, since I don't know how much time I have, I've got to learn how to count my days and count them with the mindset of, let me be careful how I use this time. Psalm 95 and verse 7 says, Today if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. In other words, this is for the person that says, I'm going to get saved tomorrow. Lord, help me preach this. This is for the person that says, I'm going to get it right tomorrow. This is for the one that says, I'm going to mend my ways and turn to the Lord tomorrow when the Bible says the day you hear God's voice, harden not your heart. The moment God speaks to you, the moment you feel, and, 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 and me preaching to you is not necessarily God speaking to you, but it comes that time when you know it's not the preacher talking to you, it's God. And God is saying, the day you hear my voice, oh, hallelujah, don't harden your heart. Don't turn your heart away. Don't, don't, don't find other things to do. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11 says, and that, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time. Somebody say high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now here's the reality. I don't know when Jesus is coming to rapture the church. But I know it's closer today than it was yesterday. Come on, somebody. I've been hearing all of my life about the last days. And when I got saved 45 years ago, you, you couldn't go a week and not hear somebody talk about Jesus Christ is coming again. And, 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 and I, I know sometimes we um, seasonalize messages. And, and when we start to make them about the seasons, when we think the season for urgency is past, we stop preaching those things. And I need to remind you that Jesus Christ is coming again. And even if he doesn't come for all of us, he might come for you before you're ready. And what a tragedy it would be to sit in church and not be ready to meet the Lord whenever he chooses to come. Wouldn't it be? Saints, you know, above everything else, and, and, and I'm going to say this, I, I, I've, I'm about to turn 55 in two weeks. And one of the reasons why this particular birthday is significant to me is because I lost a lot of friends who were saved before they reached the age of 55 or even right after they turned 55. Some of my closest friends who were singing with me, shouting with me, preaching with me, passed away before they got to be, or, or, or as soon as they turned 55. And, and that's made me very appreciative of every day. Now, I want to live to be at least as old as my father. My father's 84 years old, and we went on vacation together. And I was thanking God that God had granted him 84 years. And I'm sitting here saying, Lord, Will I live to be 84? And I don't have an answer for that. Maybe you got an answer. I'm counting on longevity. I'm counting on DNA. I'm counting on genetics. I'm counting on grace. But I don't know. And because I don't know, it has made me very reflective about how I spend my time. 
Because God, what if I don't live to be as old as my father? What if I don't live to be as old as my grandmother who was 95 when she died? Then that means I have to value what God has given me and I have to tell the truth that I have wasted enough time. I wish I was in an honest church today. Paul talks to the Ephesian church and this is a, a very diverse congregation that was united by their common faith in the grace of God. And you know, we come, even looking at this congregation today, we come from different backgrounds, but what joins us is the common salvation and the impact that salvation has on our lives. Anybody here glad to be saved? Just tell the neighbor, I'm saved. Oh, come on, you didn't say it like you like you. Man, look at him again and tell him, I'm saved. Oh, God, now tell him I'm glad I'm saved. Oh, my God. We don't testify enough, hallelujah. But it's a blessing to be saved. And the fact that we're saved unites us if we don't come from the same ethnicity or the same backgrounds or the same, oh, God, socioeconomic status. Just the fact that we're saved means we can rejoice together because we're saved. So let all the saved people just give God a good praise right now. Everybody that's saved. Everybody that's saved. Now, here's what makes salvation so significant. Salvation changes everybody that's saved. See, I was clapping a second ago. Let me say it again. Salvation changes everybody that's saved. And if you're saved and you haven't changed, I hate to tell you, baby, you ain't saved. I know you didn't come to hear that, but I need to tell you, if, if you claim a salvation that has not fundamentally impacted your life and changed your life, you are not saved. I don't care how many times you've been baptized. I don't care if you did speak in somebody's tongues. If you did not change, you're not saved. Oh, God, help me preach this. Because salvation changes the person. Anybody been saved here? And stuff that used to have you had to release you because you got saved. I, I, I need a witness in here that had a bad habit. Come on, somebody. Had a bad habit, had a bad habit, had a bad habit. But when you left the altar, the habit stayed at the altar and you started walking in the newness of life. And when people ask you, why don't you do what you used to do? I'm saved. That was my answer. I'm saved. Oh, God. You mean you stop cussing? I'm saved. You mean you stop drinking? I'm saved. You mean you stop carrying on? I'm saved. You stop fighting? I'm saved. Oh, saved by his power divine. Saved to new life sublime. Life now is sweet. My joy is complete. Somebody shout again. I'm saved. Well, part of the salvation work is discipleship. Everybody say discipleship. And Paul admonishes each of us in chapter 5, verse 1, to be followers of Christ or disciples of Christ. Let's talk about discipleship for a second. Because I'll be honest, one of the problems that the Pentecostal church has is we teach water baptism we teach the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but we don't emphasize enough the walk 
Come on, somebody. After I've spoken in tongues, there's got to be a walk. After I've run around the church, there's got to be a life. And, and it's a life where I become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Hence, I become a follower of Jesus Christ. And let me explain following because we don't understand following because all of us have these now. And when you want to go somewhere, you just type in the address and it just takes you there. You got them in your car. But, but, but if you're as old as I am, you remember driving in cities where you were not familiar with the city. Come on, somebody. And I could drive almost everywhere and not get lost, but Washington, D.C. was always what would hang me up. And you could drive in D.C. and one minute be in Virginia and one minute be in Maryland. Don't know how you got from one place to the other. And so when I would go to D.C., I would tell somebody, I, I knew no matter where I was, I could always find Bible Way. Because Bible Way was right off of 295. In fact, the highway loops around the church. And I'd say, meet me at Bible Way, and then I'll follow you. But when you follow somebody, you have to follow them closely. Because what happens when you follow people? Somebody gets in front of you. They make a turn and you miss the turn. And so you can't follow somebody from a block away. You can't follow somebody from four blocks away. You have to be right where they are to follow them. Here's the problem with most believers. We're trying to follow Jesus a block away. And Jesus makes a turn and we don't know where he went. Jesus makes changes lanes and we don't know where he is. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to get close to where Jesus is. So when he makes a move, I'm right there when he makes that move. How many of us are not close enough to Jesus? And saints, I'm going to tell you this. I want to be where he is and not where he was. Some of us are where he was, hoping he'll come back and loop around to get us. But I want to be so close to him that when he makes a move, I make the move with him because I'm following him that closely. Now, when I follow him, I now become a learner. Everybody say learner. Too many ignorant folk in church. You ain't got to say amen, but it's the truth. Jumping and shouting and don't know anything about their faith. And how can you spend time with the Lord and not learn something? Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and do what? Learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, after I've spent all this time with Jesus, you mean I don't know anything? means you're not learning not learning and, and and the thing about learning and I see Margie and I see sister mother Lloyd and see sister dr. Taylor a few others here learning is transformative okay y'all don't believe that when you learn something the way you know you learned it is that it transforms your behavior now I know better and I do sometimes say it ain't got no sense but I know that's not good grammar so normally when I'm thinking about what I'm saying I'll say it doesn't make sense come on somebody because learning transformed my speech come on now, now now sometimes when you're hanging at the house you know other stuff might come out your mouth but you, if, if you're in the right setting and it's a professional setting, you're going to try to fix up what you say. Why? Because you have learned better. Come on, somebody. And, and, and when you have learned from Jesus, 
It has a transformational impact on what? Your behavior. That's why I struggle with believers that claim a salvation, but you haven't learned after 30 years how to stop lying. Something wrong with that. You mean you didn't learn that all these years in church? You, didn't, you never heard the sermon about lying? You never heard the sermon about being nice? Never heard the sermon about, being, about forgiving? Because if you're learning, it's transforming you. And, and you know what the goal is? The goal of the learning is that you become like Jesus. Anybody here want to be like Jesus? I haven't heard that song in years. To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. How I long to be like him. But when I become that follower, you know, discipleship transforms the life of the disciple. If you follow Jesus, it is going to transform your life. And Paul gives us some examples of transformation. First of all, you've been transformed to love. I need somebody in here who the Lord taught you how to love. Didn't know how. In fact, didn't want to do it. Come on, somebody. I need some honest people in here. Lord said you had to forgive him. I got to forgive him? What he said to me, what he did to me, and then the Holy Ghost keeps saying, no, you've been changed to love. That's how you can tell when folk are loving out of the flesh and loving out of the spirit. Because when you love out of the flesh, you can turn it on and you can turn it off. But when it's the spirit, when I don't feel like it, the love of God starts moving on the inside. I've been transformed to love. Oh, God, people do you wrong and say, why you ain't say nothing? You have to say, baby, it's the Holy Ghost. Because if I was in my flesh, you, have a, you hear a whole different answer. You better be God, glad I'm saved or I'd be snapping around here. But thank God for the Holy Ghost that is changing my life. Taught me how to love even my enemies. Taught me how to love my frenemies too. Come on, somebody. That's the love thing. Folks saying... I'm glad I'm saved. You said, you better be glad I'm saved. You better be sure. When you go home tonight, get on your knees and say, I'm so glad he's saved. Because he started to cut me, but he was saved. Oh, my God. He was saved. He was saved. He was saved. I've been transformed to crucify my flesh. Let's be honest. Anybody still got flesh in here? Still got flesh, still got feelings. And, 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 and when you lit, and I'm going to be honest because, see, some of us have this notion that because I'm saved, I have lost my capacity to do evil. That's a lie. I got everything I used to have to do whatever I used to do that was ungodly. Come on, oh, see, 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 y'all don't want to be real. I got everything. I got the same tongue, the same hands, the same mind that I could do everything that I used to do. But because I've been transformed, I have learned how to crucify my flesh. See, we don't talk about this in church, and we think these people that live right are just somehow better than everybody else. No, they have learned how to go before God and say, God, you know what I feel like doing right now, but I thank God for the Holy Ghost that is transforming my life. Oh, God, because when I would do something that was evil. Come on, somebody. 
still fighting flesh. See, you just, can I be honest? This is just Sunday. This is Sunday. Everybody gets a little bit saved on Sunday. Somebody tell me the truth in here. And thank God we only have to come to one service. <laughs> Everybody gets saved on Sunday. But if you caught me on Tuesday and the Holy Ghost wasn't helping me, y'all ain't saying nothing. There'd be a different person on Tuesday than the one on Sunday. But because I have been transformed, my Tuesdays have become Sundays. Come on, somebody. That even when I feel like going the wrong way, the Bible says the love of God constraineth me, holds me, redirects me, strengthens me, tells me I can do it. Even transformed how I manage my tongue. Come on, shout with me now. Shout with me now. Because some of us live godly lives, but to quote my daughter, we have reckless mouths. Now, Geneva says that about me. She says, Daddy, your mouth is just reckless sometimes. <laughs> your mouth is just reckless. So y'all pray for the pastor's mouth. She says, my mouth is just reckless sometimes. But when you got the Holy Ghost, what does the Holy Ghost do? It teaches you how to manage your mouth. Because guess what? You can do more damage with your mouth. I'm preaching hard now. Y'all ought to be jumping and running the aisles. Oh, God, he's, you can do so much damage with your mouth. Not only what you say to a person, but what you say about them when you don't think they're listening. But when I'm saved, I want to come back, say something ugly. But the Lord has transformed. Even what comes out of my mouth. I got to finish this. And even transformed us into a state of spiritual awareness. Now, you know when the Holy Ghost is working. Because he's working even when you're not in this environment. And if this is the only environment where you encounter the Spirit... You are living off the contact high of somebody else's connection with God. But you need to be alone sometimes. Nobody around. Church is closed. Pastor's not available by telephone. But the Holy Ghost is talking to you. Oh, Shataye. The Holy Ghost is visiting you. And sometimes when the Holy Ghost visits you, doesn't he tell you to get your mess together? Okay, y'all don't want to be honest. He ain't always telling you, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to strengthen you. Sometimes he's telling you, you know what? You got a nasty attitude. And if you really want me to bless you, I need you to work on your attitude. You got an unforgiving heart. And I need you to remember that I forgave you for everything that you did. So you need to get over yourself and move on with your life. You know what? You have a disobedient spirit. And it doesn't matter what anybody says. You got something to say out of your mouth. Learn to shut your mouth and hear what the Spirit says to the church. That's when the Holy Ghost is talking. Now, he ain't always calling miracles, signs, and wonders, and blessings. Sometimes he's dealing with bad behavior. Lord, help me preach this. So, Paul, I'm, I'm closing. Paul says, 
that we have to learn how to walk circumspectly. Everybody say circumspectly. Circumspectly means I got to learn how to walk precisely and accurately. Now, I'm struggling with something. I need y'all to help me out. When you get a chance, go back and read the second half of the book or the, or, or the last 25% of the book of Exodus. I want you to read that. And when you read that book, you're going to read about the building of the tabernacle, the building of the temple. Now, God gave Moses precise measurements for what he wanted in the temple, in the tabernacle. He told him how long it should be, how high it should be. He told him what materials he should, he should use for the building of the tabernacle. He even outlined how the garments of the priest should be and the Levite should be. I mean, he was precise. Now, how can God be so precise about the building of a facility and be careless about how we live? I need you to think about that for a second. He told Moses what material to use for the curtain that separated the holy place from the unholy place, or from the holy place from the most holy place. But yet he doesn't care who you sleep with. He told him what the priest's garment should look like. But he doesn't care if you're gay or straight. He, he told him to make sure that the lather, the foot, the basin of the altar was built a certain way. But now, in 2021, he doesn't care if we live like saints or live like devils as long as we got the oil. How are you going to have oil and not change? Because oil, well, I hear you, Holy Ghost, changes whatever oil is put on. If you put oil, unless you're Teflon, oh God, help me. Because if you're Teflon, the oil just beads off. And maybe that's what's wrong with people. They've developed Teflon spirits, and what is put on them doesn't change them. But I remember when the Holy Ghost came on somebody, it changed the nature of where the Holy Ghost went. People got off the altar and threw down their drugs, got off the altar and gave up their sin, got off the altar and told their boyfriend, we can't sleep together no more because I got the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost transforms the life. What's happened now? Precisely, accurately. I need to tell you this, and I'm closing. That God wants what He wants, and we've got to stop trying to make God accept things that He doesn't want. And because, and that's why most of us refuse to really read the Bible. We glance at it. We have it on our phone. But anybody read the Bible and got convicted just as you were reading? Lord, help me. Nobody preached to you. You just started reading. And when you started reading the word and looking at your life, you realized, I've got to make some changes. 
Because if this is the word of God, and if I'm not doing what the word of God says, then I open myself to the judgment of God. He says, redeem the time because the days are evil. And he says, don't be unwise, but be those that know what the will of God is. I need somebody that knows the will of God. You might not know every step, but you know God has called you to something greater. Maybe you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but you know God has called you to be something more than you are. And saints, I'm at a point and I'm challenging us. We're about to receive the Lord's Supper. But before we receive the Lord's Supper, I want to challenge everybody in the church to ask God for forgiveness. And you say, well, Bishop, what have I done that justifies forgiveness? I have wasted time. I have wasted time worrying about what people think about me. I have wasted time worrying about what people say about me. I have wasted time trying to please people rather than pleasing God. I have wasted time, oh God, placating and satisfying my flesh. I have wasted time trying to stroke my own ego and trying to boost my own attitude. I have wasted time trying to lift up myself in pride. I have wasted time doing those things that God said not to do. I have wasted time, oh God, not doing what the Lord commanded me to do. And God is calling on the house of God to repent, oh my God. And yes, I'm in church, but I still wasted time. Wasted time being mad for no reason. Wasted time being sad for no reason. Wasted time being angry for no reason. When I ought to wake up every morning saying this is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad. And I don't care, oh God, what's going on. If God has given you another day, you ought to be somewhere with your hands lifted and your mouth open saying, Lord, I thank you. Maybe I'm in pain and maybe I've had some suffering. Maybe I've had some challenges, but he still kept me alive. I'm supposed to be crazy, but God kept me alive. I'm supposed to be in despair. But God kept me alive. Can I get a grateful person that will thank God for another day? Is there somebody in the house that will praise God for another day? It's of the Lord's mercy that I'm not consumed because his compassion fails not. It's made new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I messed up yesterday, but he gave me another day. I messed up last month, but he gave me a new month. I messed up last year, but he gave me a brand new day. I can't sit like you and not say anything. I can't sit like you and look sedated. I gotta lift my hands and open my mouth and say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I could have been cut off, but thank you. I could have died and been lost, but thank you. I could have lost everything, but thank you. I could have lost it all, but thank you. Is there a grateful person in refuge? Is there a grateful heart in refuge? I need you to give God the best praise that you got because 
he's been good. Oh, give thanks. Oh, give thanks. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he's good. 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 I said he's good. 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 And his mercy. That's the tunnels. His mercy. His mercy. His mercy. Endure forever. Somebody give God glory. Somebody give God glory. Somebody give God glory. I wasted time. I wasted time. I wasted time. I wasted time. I should have been praying. And I was gossiping. I wasted time. I should have been praying. And I was complaining. I wasted time. But God had mercy. God had mercy. God had mercy. God had mercy. Come on, stand. I'm done. God had mercy. Come on, stand. I'm finished. God had mercy. Now, here's the good news. The Lord said, tell the saints to repent. Everybody tell the Lord you're sorry right now. Everybody tell the Lord you're sorry right now. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. God said through the prophet Joel, I will restore the years. I need y'all to listen to this. He didn't say, I'll just restore the joy. He didn't say, I'll just restore the money. He didn't say, I'll just restore the anointing. He said, Candace, I'll restore the years. Oh, God, somebody will be shouting right now. I lost time. Anybody lost time in unfruitful endeavors? I lost time. But Elder God said, I'll restore even the years. Oh, God. Look at somebody say, he's going to restore the years. 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 Oh, he's going to restore the years that the caterpillar, the locust, the canker, the palmer wood. Because you can put yourself in a position where the enemy can take what God has given. But if you repent, God said, even the years, I'm going to restore those years. Anybody lost time in an unfruitful relationship? But God said, I'm going to restore the years. Oh, God. Anybody lost time chasing some stuff that you shouldn't have been chasing? But God said, I'm going to restore the years. Anybody wasted time doing some stuff you had no business doing? But God said, I'm going to restore the years. Oh, God. I've wasted enough time. Wasted enough time. I've wasted enough time. Everybody in the house, come on, praise God for mercy right now. Come on, everybody in the house. Everybody in the house, come on. Come on, come on, come on. Thank God for mercy. Come on, thank God for mercy. Thank God for mercy. Thank God for mercy. Thank God. Come on, thank God for mercy. 
Come on, thank God for mercy. Thank God for mercy. Come on, thank God for mercy. Thank God for mercy. I should have been dead, but God had mercy. Come on, thank God for mercy. Thank God for mercy. Thank God for mercy. that you were blessed by this broadcast today. If you desire prayer or want more information about our church, please call us at 336-570-3664. Again, that's 336-570-3664. You can also go to our website for more information about our ministry at www.refugetemplenc.com. Again, that's www.refugetemplenc.com. Pastor Reginald and Lady Charity Davis and the Refuge Temple family would like to invite you to worship with us whenever you are in the Burlington area. If this ministry has blessed you, please write to us at P.O. Box 3552, Burlington, N.C., 27215. That's P.O. Box 3552, Burlington, N.C., 27215 or email us info at refugetemplenc.com. That's info at refugetemplenc.com. God bless you, and until next time, shalom, shalom.